Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. This morning, we're going to continue uh, the story that we've started. Last week, we saw that Peter, um, when he healed the lame man in Acts 3, what did he say? He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And we talked about last week how Peter brought God what he had, and he didn't have silver, and he didn't have gold, and he was lacking in some areas, but he brought to God what God had given him, and God used it to minister to this man and save a couple thousand other people after. And so um, we, we saw the narrative of Peter and the lame man, and then we see the church growing and sharing all things in common at the end of Acts 4. And uh, we, we left off with this picture of the church growing and expanding and people being added to the number every single day. And, and, and this momentum is starting to grow in the church. I mean, there's spurts of 3,000 people getting saved here, 2,000 getting saved here, people being added day by day. Uh, uh, the first miracle happened with the healing of the lame man. So, so the church is starting to gain some momentum here. And here's where we're going to jump in. And we're going to look at Acts 5, 6, and 7 this morning. And uh, we're going to continue to see, as we've talked about for the last couple weeks, this continual shift from Israel as God's exclusive people to the church as God's universal people. And so just as a recap, for those of you who haven't been here, the book of Acts largely addresses this shift because we see that Israel is the focus and and the Jewish people are the focus of evangelism at the beginning of Acts, but then around Acts chapter 8, there's a shift and then it's the church. And it's God using the church and working upon the earth through the church. So we're going to continue this narrative. But before we do, let us pray and invite the Holy Spirit in and uh, ask him to speak to us this morning. Father, you are good and you're awesome and we love you. And we thank you that we're a part of this church body. Lord, throughout the ages, so many things have come against your church. Struggles, trials, persecutions. God, so many things, and yet your church still stands today. It's strong. You said the gates of hell won't prevail against it, and we're a part of that, God. We're a part of this eternal thing that is the church in community, falling in love with you as we have community with each other, God. So today, as we study your word and as we continue to study the origins of the church and uh, these narratives in the book of Acts, would you speak to us? And would you give us wisdom to be able to understand what your word has for us this morning? God, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand all that you would speak to us? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7. So we'll start in Acts 5. And... uh, Looks like the screen's not working, so I'll be extra intentional. Discussion questions um, when they come around. But uh, we're going to start in Acts 5, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give a brief narrative, kind of some context and what happens in Acts chapter 5 and 6, and then we're going to spend a bulk of the time in Acts chapter 7. So uh, for those of us who have read the book of Acts and who are familiar with it, we know and you can see in your Bibles right there, that Acts chapter 5 rolls around, and the church is growing, and it's expanding, and people at this point are actually coming, and they're selling big plots of land that they have. 
So kind of the wealthy people of the church are coming and they're selling these plots of land. They're selling their real estate, essentially, and they're giving the money to the church for the dispersion of the common good. And so people who are in need in the church then are able to have their needs met with these massive amounts of money that these people are bringing in. And Acts chapter 4 leaves off with this guy, Barnabas, who we're going to get to in a couple weeks Uh, one of the key figures in the book of Acts. He comes and he sells this big plot of land and he disperses it for the common good. And so we see that there is this practice of, you know, among the rich people giving their land away and, and, and selling their possessions and then giving it to the church. Well, then we come to Acts chapter five and it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira who do the same thing. And they they essentially have this plot of land and they sell it and they give some of it to the church, but then they keep back the other half and the other portion for themselves, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing. I mean, those of us who tithe, we do that all the time. We give part of our money to the church and then obviously keep the rest to live off of. So this in and of itself wasn't a bad thing. But for those of us who know the story, they fell into sin by their hypocrisy and by their deception. Because they sold this plot of land, gave some of it away, but they were trying to make it seem like they had given the entire portion away. So they were trying to be the the super Christians, the hyper spiritual, you know, putting that church mask on, making it seem like they were holier than they really were. And so they sell this land, they give part of it to the church, they keep part of it back, and the Holy Spirit reveals this to Peter. And Peter essentially calls him out on this and calls Sapphira out on this. He gives them a chance to repent. He asks them if this is the full sum. They say yes. And so the Lord, on different occasions, strikes Ananias and Sapphira down dead. Whoa. And so at this point, uh, I think a lot of us struggle with this passage of Scripture, for those of us who know this story. I mean, I know when I have read this in the past, I've thought, wait, God, why you got to be so rude? Come on. Like, what are, you, what are you doing striking people down? Why, why did you kill Ananias and Sapphira who gave something, right? I mean, they did something good. Why would you be so extreme and so rude as to strike them down and kill them on the spot? And I think that we can kind of wrestle with this. And then uh, questions of the nature of God come into play where, okay, well, then is God maybe too just? Is he, is he not good then? I mean, this seems like a pretty extreme punishment for I mean, to us today, kind of a a fairly small sin. We've seen bigger sins in the church today, haven't we? And yet we see God exercise this extreme act of judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. And I think that we can get hung up on this, but it's important to consider the context and the the, the 30,000-foot view of what's happening, and then we're able to see this act of judgment. Because remember, the church had just been born, maybe couple months ago, maybe a, a matter of weeks ago. I mean, we don't have this huge impression that the church has been around long at all, because the church is still in Jerusalem. And so the church hasn't been around long, and it's still growing, and it's still young, and it's still kind of figuring this whole thing out, and God's still teaching his people things through the church. And so we got to view the church as this very young church. Well, when I think about this, I think of my baby boy, five-month-old Rush, See, Rush is five months old. He's just a baby. And because he's a baby, his immune system hasn't yet learned how to fight off disease yet. So if he gets sick or if he gets a virus, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure, because his body is fairly weak, 
I'm going to make sure that that virus is taken away. So if he's got to get shots, we're going to get him shots. If he needs medicine, we're going to get him medicine. If he needs to go to the hospital, we're going to do that. But we're going to go to any lengths necessary to ensure that Rush is healthy. Why? Because he's young and he's vulnerable. And he hasn't yet, because he's so young and he's still a baby, he hasn't yet learned, his body hasn't learned how to defend against sickness. Well, I want to propose that God was doing the same thing with his infant church. The church was still very young, and the church was susceptible to, to viruses and to, to sin and to things creeping in, you know, wolves in the flock creeping in and trying to take some ground in this young church. And so God, as the father and as the protector of this new church, goes to extreme lengths to make sure that the church is healthy and that the church doesn't have a virus, that the church is cleansed of any sin, any, any gross, icky virus that could spread. Therefore, we see that God is quick, and he's decisive, and he's, to us, fairly extreme in this judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, because he's protecting his infant church. And so we see this judgment occur, and then the the story continues throughout Acts 5, where the apostles are arrested, and after a series of events, they're released, and it says that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And so they go out rejoicing, and they're going after people, and they're telling people about Jesus, and they're loving on people, and the church continues to grow. And it actually grows so much when we get into Acts chapter 6 that we see the church go through these growing pains. And the church has grown so much, and there's so many people who have been added to the church that people are actually being neglected because there's such a great amount of people. And, and it's experiencing this season of growing pains. We can equate this with our junior high days. The days where we start smelling a little weird, right? Where, where, where guys, we, we've been introduced to this thing that is Axe body spray. And, and we think at first that it attracts women. That's what we've been told, right? You just spray like half the bottle on you and girls are bound to run to you. Come on. But in reality, girls are actually repelled. And they said, oh my gosh, gross. Not only do you have acne and you have braces, but you are wearing Axe body spray. Nasty. Get away from me. And it's this weird season of like trying to figure out relationships and like your voice is cracking and hey girl, how are you? Hey. And it's this like super awkward season where then our bodies are hurting in places that we never, ever, ever, ever wanted to hurt. And it's this weird growing pains kind of season. Well, the church was very, very similar to that. It wasn't using Axe body spray, but it was growing, and it was, it was going through these growing pains. There was just some awkward things were happening just by the nature of growing and maturing. And so in Acts chapter 6, we see that these widows are being neglected and that people are being overlooked in the church. And so in the middle of Acts chapter 6, we see that uh, the apostles establish this first church governance. And they realize that they're not doing a good job of delegating well. So they say, you know what? We're going to set in seven deacons to essentially give disperse food and disperse money and, and serve tables. We're going to set these deacons in place so that they can handle the logistical work and the logistical execution of a growing church. And then we can devote ourselves exclusively to prayer and the word. And so there's this delegation and this establishment of the first draft, if you will, of church authority and governance. And so these deacons are set in place. And then at this point, the story turns a little bit and it starts to spotlight and zero in on this particular character who is one of these seven deacons. And that character is Stephen. 
And Stephen kind of charges on the scene, and he's a deacon, and he's handling logistics, but yet we see that he is filled with the Spirit, and he's gotten, got something special going on about him. He's moving in power. So at this point, let's go to Acts chapter 6 together. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We're going to read through verse 15. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Now pause for a second. Remember that Stephen was not one of the apostles. Stephen was a deacon, and, and by no means was he on a lower level, but he was over more logistical stuff. You know, he, he wasn't devoted. He wasn't the full-time ministry guy of the day, where he was devoted to the, you know, the pastor, like speaking and preaching and, and in the word all the time. He, he was handling the logistical execution of the church, and yet even then we see him moving in power and in authority and how the Spirit was very much a part of his daily life as he was a part of the disciples. So verse 11 says, Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. <gasps> Gasp. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us, which was a huge deal for these devout and ritualistic Jews at the time. And verse 15 says, And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of of an angel. So here, Stephen's moving in power. He's getting people saved. He's performing miracles and signs and wonders. And these guys, these priests, the high priest, that this council comes against him, seizes him, and questions him about what he's doing. And they're bringing false charges against him and saying, you have said this and you've said that. And they're trying to pin him. They're trying to get him in a corner to where he'll either renounce God or to where he will speak the truth and then they can punish him. And so Stephen here is backed into a corner, or so it seems, and he stands up and he addresses the council. And uh, in this address, then this takes us to Acts chapter 7, and for 48 verses, that's Acts 2 through 50, we see Stephen stand up and give this narrative of Israel's history. And it's interesting because if you're given a defense and if you're standing on trial and if somebody's accused you of things that you haven't said, why would you stand up and give this history of your ancestors and this story? It seems like you'd be saying, no, 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 no. I was actually doing this and, and if I said something like that, I, I, I meant this and you'd, you'd be backpedaling a little bit. So Stephen, it's kind of random because to us, it seems like he completely side skirts the issue and says, okay, you want my defense? Let me give you a history lesson. And then he goes into this big, 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 long narrative for 48 verses of Israel. And at this point, we're going to lead into our first discussion of the morning because we're not going to spend the next 45 minutes because we don't have that talking about Acts 2 through 50. But I want us to get in our tables. And uh, here's the discussion question. It's not on the screen, so you have to pay attention. Glance over Acts 7, 2 through 50. Just glance over it. Keyword glance. 
I want you to talk in your table, who are some of the main characters that Stephen mentions? And how does God show his faithfulness to them? Okay? So in your table, everybody, like, pull out your Bibles, your phones, whatever. I want you to just skim read Acts 7, 2 through 50, and I want you to find the key people that Stephen is talking about. Okay? So pinpoint those, and then I want you to talk about in your tables how God showed his faithfulness to those people personally. Make sense? Okay. Here we go. Ready, set, discuss. Go. So the purpose of this discussion um, is to get all of us to see some of the themes that uh, Stephen is talking about here. He's, uh, he's addressing this narrative of Israel. He, he's, he's talking about the history. And largely, we see this theme of faithfulness run through this narrative. Anybody pick up on that? How, how uh, Stephen is standing there and he's saying, look, God has done this and God's done this and God's done this through this person. And there's this common thread, this tapestry thread. That is this theme that runs through this whole story that is consistent. And then he's elaborating upon. And it's this theme of God's faithfulness. And so in this address that we just looked at, uh, Stephen is telling the story of Israel and its history. And so starting with Abraham, he goes through and gives this narrative approach to Israel's history, and he's talking about the ways in which God has worked in the past. And it's as if Stephen says, look, okay, so with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, he revealed himself, and he brought himself a nation through these people. And then there was Joseph, and then there was Moses, and David, and Solomon, and there's all these people that God is revealing himself through. And he, he's, he's telling these accounts of God working in this way and this way and this way. And, and Yahweh is faithful and he's with us and he's with his people. And he, it wasn't enough for him just to reveal himself to one group and then let them tell their ancestors for generation after generation. But yet he was speaking one after another, generation after generation, revealing himself to people throughout the centuries. And it's this theme of, look, Yahweh is faithful. And it's like God has this way about him, this thing about him, as we read this, of just being faithful. He can't help it. It's just who he is. I mean, God comes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these characters and reveals himself, and he just can't help but reveal himself to these people. It speaks of his faithfulness. And we see here that God is in the business of chasing his people down. He goes after them. Because remember, there were some pretty rough sins that are happening in this time in Israel. I mean, every single one of these guys, there's some sin issues that are happening in the history of Israel. Some, you know, bigger than others. But yet God, even in that, is chasing down his people because he's faithful and he desires a relationship with them so much. And he's running after them and he's revealing himself to him. And it's as if Stephen is saying, look, God is faithful. And in that, we see this overarching theme of remembering. Because Stephen says, look, remember when God did this. Remember when God did this. Hey, remember with David? And he actually didn't build the temple, but it was Solomon. Yeah, God was in that. And there's this overarching banner theme of remembrance. And as if, it's as if Stephen is saying, oh, Israel, remember the Lord your God. Remember who he is. And this theme of remembrance is interesting because it's not a theme that just runs deep in this passage, but it's a theme that runs deep in the entire Bible. Because we see throughout Israel's history, the Israelites had a way of uh, building and, and commemorating these, uh, 
they're like Ebenezers, if you will, these rocks that were stacked on each other. And there was a way of remembering when God did something at a certain location. So if God helped Israel win a battle, or if God spoke to uh, a certain person, like in the instance of Jacob, when he saw the dream and all that stuff, there was a, there was a altar, an Ebenezer, a commemoration and a place of remembrance in which when Israelites would walk through the, uh, the land, they would see this and say, oh, this is when God spoke to Jacob, or this is when God delivered Ai over to Joshua and his armies. And, and there's this common thread of remembrance throughout the Bible, and here we see that even still. And uh, there's one character, too, that as we study the uh, history of Israel, we see that he's especially um, in the business of remembering God, and that is David. So let's go, to, uh, let's go to a couple psalms of David, and then let's see how he remembered God. And we're going to go to Psalm 77 first, and then we're going to go to Psalm 143, so you can go back and forth if you want. But David's interesting because he's a character who we just see constantly remembering God. And in the Psalms, it kind of helps us peek through the window a little bit of David's relationship with the Lord and how he remembered God and under what circumstances. And so thus we'll see this theme of remembrance um, throughout the Bible, especially in David's life. So we're going to go uh, Psalm 77, verse 1 and 2. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice. We've all done that, huh? God, oh, I need you. And he gave ear to me in the day of my trouble. I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. Some of us might have even been there too refusing to be comforted. But then he, can, he continues this train of thought, and then he gets to verse 10, where it's the shift, when he says, and I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I also meditate on all your works and talk of all your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? And here we see that David starts out crying out to God, God, I'm help, I'm hurting, I'm in anguish. And then as he remembers, the finality of his statement becomes, Who is so great a God as our God? Before he was struggling, before he had his eyes on the problem, and yet when he remembered his God, he remembered his works, he realized, wait, my God's a good God. He does the same thing in Psalm 143, uh, in verses 3 through 5, when he says, For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. We all can relate to that. Overwhelmed, distressed, anxiety. Verse 5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse at the works of your hands. And so here we see that David is remembering God. That he's in this point of life, time after time after time again, where he just stops and he says, wait, I'm going through this, but I take a second and I remember God. And let us remember that David had quite the story, right? I mean, this dude went through the ringer and back. He went through some rough times. I mean, he, he had to take down a giant. 
He fought off a bear and a lion at one point. He had this crazy wacko king chasing him around for over a decade. I mean, this dude was always in trouble. He had a rough story, a rough go at things. And yet, even in that, we see that he continues to remember God because much of the Psalms that he writes is in these trials and in these seasons of persecution and in fear and in worry. And he writes some of these Psalms in a cave where he's hiding from Saul and thinking that he very well could be killed the next morning. But yet in the middle of these trials and struggles, we're able to peek through the window a little bit and we're able to see that in the face of these hardships, David chose to remember the Lord. And he remembered the God of his story, and he remembered the God of Israel's story. And it's as if he looked back and he said, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm going through this, and yeah, this crazy king's chasing me, but, but I'm going to remember that before that, God helped me take down Goliath. And before that, he helped me survive in the pasture with the sheep when I fought that bear and that lion. And time after time after time again, in my life personally, God has had this thing about him where he's just faithful to me. And if he was faithful then, then he's going to be faithful now. I will remember the days of the Lord. I'll remember my God. And so Stephen and David here are doing something similar. They're charging God's people to remember. And though Stephen is charging uh, his uh, words to remember with these doubters in the face of people who are falsely accusing him, and David's charging it in trial, we see that there's this theme of remembrance. And see... When I look across this room, all of us could just sit down for hours upon hours upon hours and tell of all the good things God's done for us, right? I mean, when we think about it, we all have stories of just amazing ways. Some awesome, some huge, and some maybe really small. But we all have stories of God working on our behalf, and we could spend tons of time talking about it. And so we all have these stories. We all have these things that we can reflect on. And, and when we reflect on these individual and personal stories and we remember, wait, yeah, God helped me with my car that one time. Or God helped me get out of that really, really bad relationship that I was in. Or God helped me heal um, after some family stuff hit the fan. When we remember that stuff, we're able to realize, wait, God's, God's here. God's with me now. Like, I'm not alone. I may feel like it sometimes, but, but God is with me. And the point I want to bring to you guys today is when we remember the provision of yesterday, we find strength in the trials of today. You see, when we're going through trial and struggle and heartache and whatever it is, and we remember the God of our story, and we remember that God has this way of being faithful, then we just have this newfound strength and faith that help us through these trials. And though the trials might not change, and though we may be gritting our teeth for a little while— God is with us, and we we remember, okay, the God of my story is with me. When I think about this, I think of the movie The Notebook. Any Notebook fans we got in here? Anybody, any guys, man up, you say, yeah, yeah. I'll admit, you two love it. I, I am fully confident in my manhood that I will admit I have seen The Notebook. About eight times, actually. Maybe nine, ten, you know. Don't tell him, JC. Don't. I've seen the notebook. I love the notebook. And it's this amazing story of, of Noah and Allie, right? 
And it's the story of falling in love, and, and the swans are flying, and they're on the boat, and they get caught in the rainstorm, and, and there's, you know, he's hanging off the Ferris wheel at the fair, and there's all these, like, romantic moments. Oh, yeah. And it's the story where they're falling in love. And I hope I won't ruin this for those of you who haven't seen it. Hopefully you all have. But towards the end of the movie, we realize that old Noah is reading this story to old Allie, Right? And Allie has forgotten who she is. And he's trying to jog her memory and and saying, hey, remember when I hung on that Ferris wheel? That was kind of crazy. You know, remember when we got caught in that rainstorm? That was pretty crazy too. Remember when I yelled, what do you want? That was pretty crazy. That was fun, yeah? Those memes, what do you want? When your girl asks where you want to go for dinner. I don't know. And he's reminding her of these stories And he's saying, look, we've had this moment and this moment and this moment. And she just doesn't remember. And it comes to the iconic and heartbreaking scene at the end where, oh, God, I know, bring on the tears, where she remembers, right? She's like, oh, it's us. That's the story of us. And they have this night where it's romantic and they have dinner and there's candles and they're dancing. And then your heart gets ripped out of your body when she forgets. And when she kind of snaps out of it and pushes Noah away and she's screaming and she runs out of the room and then the movie just goes downhill from there. I mean, what are you doing to us, man? Come on. But it's this heart-wrenching scene where she forgets and we see that this whole movie is Noah reminding her, going through this exercise of reminding her who she is, who he is, and this story that they have shared together. Well, I want to propose to you that we have this story We have this history. We have this story with the Lord that we've walked through. We have this story where God has been faithful to us. We have this story where he first wooed us into relationship with him. And from there on out, he's been nothing but good to us. And though trials and though tribulations and hardships happen as a result of us living in a fallen world, God has been faithful and he stayed close to us and he's provided for us. And when we're in these times of trial and we go through this exercise like Noah did with Allie and we just, wait, 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 remind, remind myself, okay, God's done this and we've had this time and this time and the Lord revealed himself to me here and and I was saved at that point and then finances and relationships and everything is kind of just lined into place and God is here. Then these trials and these struggles that we're going with through now are just, they may not become easier, and they may still be hard, but we just get this fresh strength as we remember who the Lord is, as we remember this God of our story that's been faithful to us. And so this morning, I want to ask you, what area of life do you need to remember God in? We all have different stories here this morning. We all are in different places of life. Some of us are thriving and have money in the bank account and, and have a great, fruitful relationship and are plugged in here. I mean, things are just going well. But some of us are really struggling in some ways. Some of us may be tight on finances. Some of us may be in a relationship problem. Some of us may just not be able to figure out what our freaking major is. What are we going to major in? Gosh, changed it four times. Oh. Um, and we're all kind of in these individual circumstances and situations where we need to remember. So I want to ask you, what area of your life do you need to remember God in? 
We can get so overwhelmed in the hardships of life and in these trials and in this relationship issue or in this $48 in my bank account and in these, all these different circumstances and they can kind of tunnel vision us in to focusing on the problem and, and we feel hopeless sometimes, feel like maybe there's no way out and the enemy comes in and says, there's no way God's coming for you this time. 48 bucks, you kidding me? That's not even enough for gas and groceries for the month. Like how are you going to manage that? Sorry, you're on your own. But in fact, when we remind ourselves, wait, 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 wait. God has been faithful time and time and time again in my life. And as we recount those times and as we remember then, things just start to become easier to manage. And we're given strength and we're given faith and we're able to remember the God of our story. And some of us maybe aren't going through big trials at all. Like I said, we we may be feeling great and things are working and things are just clicking together. But in those times, it's important, equally important, actually, to remember the God of our story because then we're reminded of what to give thanks for. And we're not this entitled Christian that, oh, yeah, everything I have, like, I deserve it. Like, come on, God. I've earned this. I've worked hard. Like, this stuff you've given me because I deserve it. No, 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 no. It's when we say, God, I remember that I was lost in my sin, that I was broken, that I had addictions, that I had all this stuff going on in my life, yet you chased after me, and you found me, and you captured me, and you wooed me into this relationship, and you've been faithful to me, and now I know that if you were faithful yesterday, you're going to be faithful today, you're going to be faithful tomorrow, and we're going to spend our lives together just living in your faithfulness and in your love. Last night, actually, me and JC had a really cool thing happen to us where uh, we were at the store and uh, we were buying groceries and we're hanging out, going through, getting all our groceries and we get up to the checkout and we're putting our stuff on the conveyor belt and uh, we're kind of just hitting it off with this cashier and talking about how they were from San Diego and all this stuff. And the whole time there's this guy standing behind us and we we have probably like a hundred items, you know? And, uh, and this guy has three things in his hand, and he's standing behind us, and there's self-checkouts, and I'm thinking, what's this guy doing? Like, he, he can be self-checking out, he can be done with this in a minute, but he's standing behind us, and he was real stoic, and he looked like this big burly mechanic kind of looking guy, you know? And, uh, and he, he just looked just stoic, a little angry. And, uh, and we go through, and, and we run all of our groceries, and I'm pulling out money to pay for it, and this guy cuts in front of me and puts his card in the machine. And, and I thought at first, wait, man, do, do you not know how this stuff works? Like, I have to pay, I have to pay first, or else it's going to run your card for my transaction. Because he said, it, it's a pay-it-ahead-of-time kind of thing. And he, he stuck his card in, and I thought he was sticking it in because he, he just wanted to get out of there quick, and he was trying to pay quick. I don't know. But we, we, I had money out. He sticks his card in and he says, nope, I got this one. We're like, what? I mean, we're both tearing up like, wait, wait, what? I, I, I don't understand. He's like, no, I got this. Put your money away. I'm like, what? Put your money away. I'm like, okay, sorry. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Ah. And we, it was just this moment where he pays for our groceries and it we're humbled. We're thinking, well, how, do we, how, do you, how do you respond to that? I mean, all you can do is say thank you. And I shook his hand, and he was still really stoic, and, you know, maybe cracked a little bit of a smile on his side. Hmm. And, and it was this time where he, he just, he paid for our groceries, and it was selfless, and we didn't see it coming at all. And me and JC, though we aren't 
in this season, really, of like, you know, need, where we, we had to have somebody pay for our groceries, it was just another point of remembrance, an Ebenezer in our lives, where we thought, God, you're, you're here. Like that stuff, people who don't believe can chalk it up to chance or talk it up to some good deed, but God, you are here in our lives, and you know like you're just you're you're faithful and you're you're here and you're you're doing all these things in our lives that are setting us up for success and you're providing for us and it's just amazing and that story just made me and JC both think of the times in our lives where God has just done that you know the little things times when we need it and where we're really hurting and struggling and times where it's just a quick little as if God's saying hey I'm here I love you like here's a little something Here's a little gift. You know, here's a, here's a little provision. And it's, it's just those moments where you set up the Ebenezer and you put a rock down and you say, this is what the Lord has done. I will remember the God of my story. And as we look at this Acts 7 narrative, we see that Stephen addresses this nation of Israel and he, he talks about this big history. We see that Wait, wait, wait. God has been faithful to his people throughout the ages. And since Adam, up until now, he's been faithful to his people and he's never let them go. And so, in fact, if this God who is faithful and who is Yahweh has provided for his people throughout the ages, then of course he's going to provide for me in my trial today. Of course he's going to meet my needs. Of course he's not going to make me go hungry. He's with me. He's for me. He's fighting for me. And so if he's provided throughout the ages, he'll provide for me today. And he won't start, you know, being unfaithful now. He won't start walking away. He won't start not providing and not giving us what we need. And so with that, I want us to, I want us to think practically about our lives and where we each are, what our situation holds. And I want us to discuss a final question together this morning. And this question is... What are some practical ways that we can remember the God of our story this week? Really practical. And you can divulge information to your table. You don't have to, but um, I want you to think personally as you share about what situation you're in and how you can remember the God of your story this week and find strength and find faith and remember the faithfulness of Yahweh, okay? So what are some practical ways that we can remember the God of our story this week? Ready, set, discuss. All right. Well, hey, as we, as we uh, wrap up this morning, I want us to read a verse together. Um, and, it, and it kind of goes along with remembering, but not really. Um, I, I just feel like some of us need to stand and need to uh, speak this out in faith. So let's grab our Bibles and uh, let's go to Philippians 4.19. You got it on your phones, you can do that. And then I want us to stand and, uh, and read this word together in faith. So let's all stand. And let's read Philippians 4.19 together. And for those of you who are in a season of trial or of hardship, this, this passage is for you. This verse is for you. This promise is for you. So I would encourage you to read this in faith, knowing that this is a word for you. Let's read this together. Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your need 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We love you. We thank you that you are actively speaking to us and you're actively reminding us of areas of our lives where you've been faithful. And Holy Spirit, this week we ask that as we go to work and as we go to school and as we interact with friends, would you be that spirit of remembrance that reminds us and brings to our knowledge the God of our story and this God who is faithful and who hasn't let us down in the past and who won't let us down today or tomorrow. We love you and thank you for all you've done. And we remember the works of our God this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.